Well, we're going to come back to our conversation from last week. If you didn't listen to that episode, it's pretty casual and just uh, some some personal stories of God's providence. Today, I want to drill into a biblical story of God's providence, one that maybe is is not what you would typically associate as a story that displays God's providence. Um, I don't know. Maybe you do. Uh, but for me, it's a story that, that really helps me understand it. And so we're going to walk through some biblical understanding and, and explanation of the sovereignty of God or the providence of God and see it at work at different levels in one particular story. There's a lot of stories in the Bible where we can see it. The whole scripture's full of it. It's it's one of the key predominant you know doctrines in all of scripture. But I want to try to help you get your brain around it. And what again, what triggered this is the craziness of what's going on in Israel, uh, between Israel and Hamas. And so as I'm recording this, um, you know, you're going to be hearing it a week and a half later. Uh, so I don't know what will have transpired in that week and a half. I'm getting ready to, as I'm recording this, I'm getting ready to go, uh, be out of town for most of the next 10 days. So I've got a marriage, a couple marriage retreats going on. We're going to follow, uh, follow those with, uh, an episode where we're going to look at some, uh, some of the things we talk about in the marriage retreat. So we'll be coming out soon with an episode on marriage. Um, but but today, as of today, there's just craziness in Israel and, and uh, the Gaza Strip. And so what it, it these times make us pause and think about the providence or the sovereignty of God. A 9-11 type event just makes you think about it. So last week we looked at some personal stories. Today we're going to look at a biblical story and drill into it a little bit. Going to look at the sovereignty of God, providence of God in the in the life of Jonah, in Jonah chapter one. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Welcome to No Sanity Required. Welcome to No Sanity Required from the Ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe. The story of Jonah is one that, uh, you know, in children's books, I, I always get cracked up. I think that Jonah and Noah, uh, David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den, the stories that we see portrayed when we were little kids, uh, sometimes I wonder how accurate, you know, the, the the children's Bible portrayals and depictions are. The story of Jonah is one that has to be just absolutely gruesome and brutal. I, I, when we preached through Jonah recently at our church, um, Spencer Davis did, uh, one of the, uh, uh, I think he did chapter two. I did chapter one. I think Spencer did chapter two. Um, I don't remember how it all broke down now, but anyway, he talked about his image of Jonah coming up, you know, onto the beach after he had been spit out, spat out by the whale or the fish, whatever it was. And, um, and how, you know, wonder if he was like bleached out, you know, from being in this thing's stomach. Um, was he, was he just bleached white? You know, what, what did he look like? Uh, and I don't know. I think it's just a, a gritty story. The other night as a family, we watched that, uh, the movie to the, the children's book where the wild things are. And there's a scene in there where the little boy, Max, hides in the belly of one of the wild things. Her name's KW, and he hides in KW's belly. She's like, quick, get in my mouth. I'll hide you. And uh, she's hiding him from Carol, which is like kind of the Carol's looking for him and is going to eat him and kill him. And so Max hides in her belly, you know, and then when she spits him back out, he's just all slimy. 
So it's a gritty story. It's not a story. It's kind of like, you know, one of my one of my pet peeves is when kids are taught a very sterilized version of a Bible story, you know, like David and Goliath, where it's just like, dink, a little rock hits him in the head and he falls down. There was a, you know, there was a beheading in that story. Um, or, uh, you know, Jonah, I mean, I'm sorry, Noah in the ark. And, and uh, we literally will decorate children's, you know, babies' bedrooms with Noah's ark. You know, you've got little cute animals um, on a carousel. Or what's that thing called? You know, the thing that, what is it called, that goes around in a circle over their head. And you've got cute little animals. Jonah, I mean, uh, Jonah and Noah's ark are stories of judgment, both of them. Judgment and deliverance. But you can't miss the judgment part, you know. And not to mention that it wouldn't have been cute on the ark. You're living with all those animals. You know, it's got to be brutal. Uh, it, it's got to be um, like stinky. <laughs> it's got to. If you've been around animals a lot, you know what I mean. And I love the smell of animals at the barn, or you know, cows, horses. I love that smell. But man, animals are nasty. You know, they're just nasty. And so, a lot of times, I think we lose the grit in these stories. And so, I want to. I want to consider that. I just want to consider it. And what I want to do is, I want to look at. Um, Jonah chapter one, and as we think about what's going on in this story, let's consider. Um, let's can I, I want to consider three categories of the providence of God. So we when we talk about the sovereignty of God. I want to look at categories of it. You know, like break this down a little bit. I'll give you a working definition of of God's sovereignty, but I want to really look at um, some different layers uh, or categories of the sovereignty of God. But I want to do it in the in looking at the story of Jonah. So let's let's read Jonah chapter one together. I'll read it if you're driving or um, or you're on a treadmill or on your bike. You can just listen. Listen again to the first chapter of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and lot, and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down before you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. 
Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to Yahweh, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of Yahweh and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What a story! What a story! And we went. We recently, um, we recently went through. You know, we had a discussion. Had Spencer and Rob on here, and we unpacked Jonah. It's one of the things that we talked about. We 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 looked at it. We drilled into it, and um, so this is this is going back to that since we already have that content. I want to go back to it, and then I want to I want to use that story to look at or consider the providence of God. When you study the story of Jonah, and we talked about this in that episode uh, a few weeks back, it's hard to find anything good to say about him. I mean, the guy's like, there's so few uh, desirable attributes with this guy. He's he's he's. Uh, it's hard to find redeeming qualities, but I also think it's important to remember that God is commanding him to go preach the gospel to a people that are, this is, you know, in, in this current context, this is like God telling a modern day Israeli to go and preach God's judgment to Hamas. Literally, that's not... That's not a shock value statement. That's not like overreaching or overstretching the illustration. That's not like an exaggerated illustrative power of, of, of contemporary examples. Like that's, it's legitimately these people would, would, this would become the capital, the hub of the Assyrian empire that would wreak havoc on the planet that would establish an empire on bloodshed and bloodlust and rape and pillage. And I mean, these, these people were brutal. I mean, you, you've probably heard, you might've heard that there have been in excavations near this city of what's, what was Nineveh, uh, modern day Nineveh that, uh, in, in the, in the archeological discoveries of ancient, the ancient city of Nineveh stacks of human skulls. I mean, this is, so I, I think we could throw Jonah a bone. I always heard it was like Jonah didn't want to go because he was scared or Jonah didn't want to go because uh, he hated these people. I do think that it's worth giving some credit there. I'm sure he was scared to death to go there. Like if you told me today, if God spoke to me out of the heavens, it was audible. I knew it was God. And he said, I want you to go into a place where radical Islam prevails where you will stick out like a sore thumb and I want you to preach the, the Christian gospel. I'd be scared out of my mind. You know, I think the Lord give you the, the courage you need to go with the calling he gives you. But so I think Jonah was probably scared. Yeah. And then if God said, go preach to these people that you have personal grievance against, and I won't, I'm just going to be honest, y'all, there are people that it would be hard for me to, to want to see the kindness of God extended to because of what they've done, you know, and those people that have beheaded children and raped women in the street that I have a hard time desiring mercy for them like that, just transparency, you know? So I think those are struggles that Jonah had, but the greatest, the, the, the reason Jonah fled, I mean, he tells us in chapter four, verse seven, again, we, we covered this in that, those other episodes, but 
um, I'm sorry, uh, chapter four, verse two. And he says this, uh, he prayed to the Lord, please Yahweh. Isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled from, uh, toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, one who relents from sending disaster. So Jonah fled because he, he, he knew that God was merciful and could change the hearts of these people and he didn't want it to happen. So I think it's, that it's, it is hard to like Jonah, but I also think we can identify with him a little bit. You know, we can, we can, we just can. So let me give you five things that five acts of God's providence in the first chapter of, of the book of Jonah. First one is seen in verse two, the Lord prepares a message of judgment, but also a message of salvation for a pagan people. So God will with, with God's message of judgment, is a message of salvation. This is what happened in the ministry of Jesus when when John the Baptist said, "Hey, I'm I'm there's one coming who's going to judge you." Like he, the 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 axe is laid at the root of the tree, you know, it's like judgment is coming, but also mercy was coming. Jesus, you know, at one point the scripture says that he desires mercy, not sacrifice, you know. Um and so I think um judgment and mercy tend to run together and so the Lord prepares this message of judgment and salvation. Um, and then he commissions a man who he knows will be disobedient to deliver the message. He commissions him to deliver the message. God's providence is the driving power behind all salvation and deliverance from sin. He has the power to save. He has the, uh, the power to bring the gospel to fulfillment. He's finished the gospel that does bring salvation, that does save. And through that gospel, he gives us a future hope and a promise of that salvation. So the first act of God's providence is in seeing how he is bringing both judgment and the opportunity and offering of salvation to a people who are unregenerate and lost in their sins. Second act of God's providence, and that first one for us is just a a reminder of the power of the gospel. The second act of God's providence is seen in verse 4. Uh, in verse four, the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. Such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. So the Lord hurls a great storm on the sea. I love that word hurls. Um, I, I think that's that's uh, the 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 text I just read was from the CSB, and it was that he throws it. But I think the ESV says hurls. Lord can literally control the weather. So we see God's providence in the second in the second act of God's providence. He's controlling a storm, but it should also be seen as an, a mercy of the Lord and a kindness. And the irony that we discussed in that earlier episode is that Jonah's sleeping, and a pagan captain is wide awake crying out to Jonah's God. You know, it's it's just a crazy scene where Jonah's dead asleep in the middle of this. What apparently has to be a horrific storm because. These sailors are professional sailors, and they're freaked out. The mariners are like losing their mind. They're so freaked out. Um, and I think you see the providence of God, even in in his kindness, he allows Jonah to give testimony and to give witness. Our unbelieving friends and neighbors and coworkers are paying attention, ladies and gentlemen. They're paying attention to how we're responding to the things that happen in our lives, and opportunities are going to sometimes come up in your life in the natural flow of day-to-day life just in how you deal with certain situations how you react how you respond um but but jonah's dead asleep and so the second act of providence though is seen in in the controlling of the weather third act of providence um is seen in the casting of lots proverbs sixteen thirty three says the lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from yahweh it's from the lord 
one of the principles that you'll see in scripture that that isn't talked about very often and it's a it's a principle of how God works when sometimes he'll work through pagan or secular channels that unbelievers use God uses like a witchcraft voodoo gambling practice to point men to Jonah remember the story of Saul where Saul seeks the medium God reveals something to him through that um, but but ultimately it's pointing it's it's pointing these men to the Lord. So God's third act of providence in the story is that the lot is cast, but God's controlling how the, the fact that the lot falls on Jonah. The fourth act of God's providence is uh, the men confess the sovereignty and the might of Yahweh. They they literally declare his sovereignty and his might. Um, they, they bring a confession that Yahweh is Lord, that Yahweh is God. Let me reread verse 14. They called out to the Lord, to Yahweh, please, Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. They declare his sovereignty and his might. And so that fourth act of God's providence is the the fact that he reveals himself to these men in a personal way that they would declare him to be who he is. And then the fifth and final act of God's providence is the fish. You know, Lord prepares this fish to come up and swallow him, you know, and I just imagine, I can't help, my imagination runs crazy right here. Like, what did these guys see? You know, it's, it's this horrible storm. They, they're willing to then throw him overboard. They beg him. No, they row against the storm. Let's just get to the, to the seashore. Let's get to the bank. Let's get to the beach. They beg Jonah. No, we don't, we can't throw you overboard. These are men who are pagans, but they've got more morality than Jonah, you know, and, and then it's like, we can't throw you overboard. We cannot do that. And he's like, you got to throw me overboard. So they throw him into the sea and then it's instantly calm. But did they see that big fish? What did that look like? You ever seen a big old, huge, massive mud cat? That's what I picture. You know, I think some people picture a, a, a big whale, blue whale or whatever. I mean, something that could swallow him, you know, it wasn't a killer whale. Them things don't swallow people whole you know it had to be something massive i picture a big old mud cat their mouths are so big you take a, one of those big huge 80 pound mud cats i've seen videos of them you know your whole head would fit in that thing's mouth i'm picturing something like that scaled up big enough to swallow a man i don't know um but again back to the definition that we're working with of providence god is continually involved in all created things in a personal in a sustaining way and will ultimately fulfill all of his purposes. So in those five acts of God's providence ending with he, he sends this fish from the depths, you know, to come up and be right there to swallow Jonah. We just, we see that God is working. And again, that working definition is important here because it helps us understand it. God is continually involved with all created things. What created things? The storm. He created that. The ocean. He created that. The fish. He created that. The men who were pagans, he created them. Jonah, he created him. Like God is working in a personal and sustaining way. And you see that in, in all of these interactions in that first chapter. And God will ultimately fulfill all of his purposes. His purpose in this story was that Jonah would go and preach the gospel in Nineveh. Okay, so before we move into this uh, this sort of theological like a systematic theology of providence and sovereignty. Um, again, uh, you know, previous episode, 
we looked at just through through my personal life, you know, in hindsight, which is kind of how we have to see God's providence sometimes, looking back and then seeing, okay, I, I see how the Lord was working and moving. So we looked at some stories and thought about that, and then we looked at this. We today we've looked at the story of Jonah, um, just one specific portion of that story in chapter one, and we've seen five acts of God's providence, like. And the, the, before we go into the theology of all of this, just the, the doctrinal side of it, I want to remind you that uh, we, we need to pause in our lives and look back and reflect on how we've seen God move. Uh, I think that, you know, there's a, well, what's the old saying that um, I think it was, it, you know, I don't remember who is credited with saying this, um, but it's like if if we don't learn from the mistakes of the past, then we'll repeat those mistakes. Like we're, we're doomed uh, in the future. And I should probably do the, the work of looking that up, but you can look it up yourself. It, the, the point is we need to stop and reflect and look back. And I think, um, you know, there, there, are, there's this sort of double, um, teaching in scripture in one sense, we don't need to look back, but in another sense, we do need to look back. Let me explain what I mean here, because I think this is the big application for all of this. We don't need to look back in the in the sense that we don't need to dwell on the past, live with shame, remorse, and regret once God has freed us from that. Like we need to move forward, put our hands to the plow, fix our eyes on the you know on on, on the prize of Christ, the high calling in Christ Jesus. Paul tells the Philippians, we need to move forward. We need to strive for progress and growth and mission. And we don't need to look back and wallow in self-pity and guilt and shame, and we don't need to live overwhelmed with regret. We also don't need to look back and remember the, the victories of yesterday to the point that we just dwell on that to, to appease our consciences. It's kind of like the high school athlete who never – does anything beyond high school and the rest of his life, he constantly remembers the glory days, you know, and looks back and thinks about and, and tells those stories over and over and over again. We don't, we don't need to live our Christian life like that. We do need to look back so that we might remember, recall, recount, reflect on what God has done so that it might strengthen us for the journey ahead. So we need to reflect and look back. So I just, I, I say that so that, you might be encouraged to consider, even if your life has been very difficult, really hard, you've struggled to, 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 to be happy, to find joy, to, to make sense of everything, look back on your life and, and, and find the ways in which the Lord has moved. Find the, the, the meaningful stories where the hand of God and his sovereignty is evident, you know? It's important. Just pause and look back. We look back at Jonah's story, and we can reflect on what God did in and through Jonah's life. And it, it and it's helpful. But then personalize that. Think about what God's done in your life. That's why I told those stories. And may, I don't know, maybe I've had really good feedback on that. So maybe we'll tell some more stories of the providence of God, specifically in and through the you know the history of Snowbird. But but let's get into the theology and the doctrine of this in our last, uh, in the last part of our time here together. So, let me give you a definition on the providence and sovereignty of God. We've we've given this before. Let me give you 
the definition, um, I think this comes from Grudem, Wayne Grudem, his systematic theology book. God is continually involved with all created things in a personal and sustaining way and will ultimately fulfill all of his purposes. I just, I wanted to come back to that just to keep that in front of us. Um, God is continually involved with all created things in a personal and sustaining way and will ultimately fulfill all of his purposes. We'll include all this. I'm going to, uh, Maddie will include, um, all of this, um, basically the, the outline of this, um, It'll be good. It'll be helpful. If, if For those of you that want to go back and reflect on it and study it. Okay, let me give you three categories of God's providence. Three categories of God's providence or sovereignty. Category number one is preservation. Preservation. Now, um, what we mean is that God keeps all things he created in existence. He keeps all things he created in existence. Let me give you some verses. Hebrews chapter 1 um, this is the one that, this is like my go-to verse for this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So that idea of upholds just means sustains. He sustains all things. He sustains life. He can, he sustains um, livability and habitability. Like he sustains the planet. He sustains the sun he keeps gravity and force like like the Lord in his providence preserves his creation. Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Uh, when we think of of the Lord holding all things together, it's he's the he's the adhesive to all of his creation. So you've got the word of God. The word of Christ sustaining the creation that by that word he spoke into existence. And then you've got the cohesiveness of everything down to the atom being held together by Jesus. Uh, Job thirty four fourteen. if he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. I like that one. Job 34, 14 and 15. Read it again. If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. So the preservation of all things rely on the providence of God. Number two, concurrence. Concurrence. We talk about the concurrence of God. What we mean is that God cooperates with the things he has created. God cooperates with the things he has created. The, we see that in those verses we just read under pres, uh, under the preservation of God. What we're talking about is uh, um, things like inanimate things, wind, rain, snow, which I guess you could say that, that those aren't inanimate in the sense that they're living in one sense. They're part of creation. They're part of the living world, but inanimate in that they don't have the ability to think or be emotional. Uh, animals. Um, events that seem random. We use Proverbs sixteen thirty three in the Jonah story where uh, that's the verse that says, uh, well, let me read it because I can't quote it. It's about casting, you know, you cast the lot, like you cast lots or you roll the dice and then the Lord's actually the one that's guiding that. Um, don't use that, by the way, to go to the casino. That's not what it means. Uh, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So the idea being... God is still guiding the, he's interacting with, 
um, even things that seem random, things that uh, things that men or creatures do of their own will and volition, but that God is engaging with. So like growing crops, drilling a well to get water, mining diamonds, something like that. Um, Job 20, I mean, Job 12, 23, listen to this verse. Job chapter 12, verse 23 says, uh, he makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. And so, uh, God, his concurrence is that he's cooperating with governments and kings and nations. And then we could say God's concurrence, uh, is seen in the fact that he cooperates with our lives, every aspect of our lives. The psalmist writes, what is man that you are mindful of him? Jeremiah chapter one says that before we're even formed in God's womb, before he's even crafted us together in his, uh, you know, in his sovereign design for our lives that, um, that he has a plan for us. Proverbs chapter 20, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse uh, 24, a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? So God's guiding our steps, you know. Under this heading and subject, we could talk for days. Um, I just want to scratch the surface a little bit, and you could dig and drill and think and study and journal, but God's concurrence is that he's cooperating with the things he's created. Um, And then lastly, the third thing is God's governance. We think of his providence, we think of his governance. This this might clear up some questions from the last two where, you know, you might be going, Wait a minute. How does God? How's God working and interacting with things like casting lots or with evil, with kings and dictators that are killing their people? How could God be cooperating with that? We come back to this uh, third one: governance. Um, this is the idea that God is working all things ultimately according to His plan and the distinctions of His will. At the end of days, at the end of time, at the end of history. God will bring all things into accordance with his eternal will. So so eternally, all things will be made right. Eternally, all things will be brought into justice. The kingdom of Jesus is and will be an eternal kingdom, and it'll be one in which he rules and reigns forever and in which all things are made right. This is where you'll see those great declarations, those doxological proclamations of worship in the new testament romans eleven thirty six. for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen and then i think of uh, we've just come through recently studying uh in in our fall retreats we did first corinthians 15 we walked through first corinthians 15 First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven says, "But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ." Like in the end, all things will be made right. In the end, all things will be put in order, and there will be an eternal existence without anything that's confusing or broken or damaged or sick or sinful or dirty or perverse or diabolical or contrary to God's will, there will be no abuse or murder or rape or theft or addiction. Ephesians 1, 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So as Christians, we can lean into the providence of God. We we lean into that knowing that God ultimately has saved us, offered us salvation with a plan of redemption, 
And that's all according to his providence. But also, one day, God's going to bring all things to justice and peace. He's going to make all things right. This gives us hope, you know, that we can rest in the sovereign and providential hand of God that in a broken world where Hamas is has butchered and murdered and raped and Israel is trying to figure out how to retaliate without, you know, the the damage and harm that might be done to innocent civilians and the, the conundrum that that puts you in, Hamas doing the, the thing that they've done and then using human shields and children's, you know, in schools and hospitals to, to base their missiles so that when Israel retaliates, then it can, they can make it look like and spin the propaganda machine to say, look, they've, they've attacked women and children and civilians and it's 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 a broken, screwed up world. I, I use that example because that's the thing that's in front of us right now. But pick another time in history, and there's always something really broken. And here's what we can know and rest assuredly on: that God is going to put all things right. And then let's personalize it and say, "Man, we got listeners who have lost a loved one this year. We've got listeners who." have gone through a brutal divorce in the last couple of years. We've got listeners who have sons and daughters who are wayward. I met a, I met a new uh, friend, a couple, um, when I was, I was deer hunting last week um, on an awesome property, a timber lease uh, in South Carolina, and a little town there that we went into, Edgefield, South Carolina, in Edgefield County, and uh, there's a husband and wife, Nino and Tina, Italian couple, uh, or Nino's Italian. They have an, uh, He has an awesome little sports bar type place, wings and pizza, and it's awesome. And then Nina has a little bakery. We would eat breakfast there. We'd come out of the woods and eat breakfast, brunch, I guess. Like, it would be lunchtime, really. We'd come out at noon, but I would get breakfast. It was so good, and coffee was so good. And then we'd go back in and hunt the afternoon, me and my buddies, and we'd come back out. Uh, for supper and go to Nino's restaurant and awesome, beautiful couple, um, beautiful in their, I mean, in, in the sense that they have hearts for the Lord, beauty of grace and, and a, and a trust in God, but, but struggling because of some family relationships that are bringing burden and grief. And, you know, you meet somebody and now you've got new friends and you, um, you sit down and you share a meal together and you, it's it's so cool when this happens. Instantly, you you realize you have a bond in Christ. And they closed. It was we closed the restaurant down that night. It was nine o'clock, and we just sat and talked about the Lord and His goodness. And um and they shared the burden for family members. And I'm praying. I'm committed to pray for that family. And the the hope that we have is that we we have hope in the future that God is the God who has the power to save over, above, and against man's greatest rebellions. We can receive mercy. We can receive peace rather than judgment. We'll have to put our trust in the sovereign and saving Lord Jesus. And so these categories of God's providence give us hope. He's preserving all things that live. He's working and cooperating with his creation, even in a fallen world. But ultimately, he's governing to make all things right, and he's going to do that. And so we can rest We can rest in that. If you've got a, a loved one that doesn't know the Lord, you can rest um, You can rest in that. Rest, rest assured that the Lord is um, He's good, 
He's just, and he has saving power. And it's the providence of God that, that drove him to commission Jonah to go preach the, a gospel of repentance to the people in Nineveh, and that ultimately that Jonah did, and that salvation came. Um, we, tr- we, we, we lean into this. We trust in this. I hope you'll be encouraged this week. Um, just came out of our, uh, our last two retreats of the year, uh, marriage conferences, and they were awesome. And um, if you were here, it was great having you. Um, if you weren't, hope that you'll get to come in the future. Come be a part of something that's going on here at SWO. And uh, again, another uh, once in a while, I try to do this. Remind you to to go check out our other podcasts if you don't already. Um, on on the same podcast platforms, you can go to the Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters Teaching Podcast. We put out all of our teaching content, so all the teaching sessions, all four sessions from the marriage retreat, which was a study through First Corinthians thirteen, those will be available this week. And uh, we headed into the holidays. I'm so excited. I'm going to do, I don't know if this will be a bonus episode because I don't want to bore people that aren't interested in this, but I want to do an episode um, sometime in the month of November where I tell my favorite hunting stories and and life applications, you know, things that that God taught me through them. I think it'll be fun. I love love telling stories, and it seems like a lot of the the story type episodes get awesome feedback. So um, anyway. Thank y'all for listening. Hope you uh, hope you have an awesome week. Sorry we're getting this episode out late. Um, this time of year is a little bit crazy because I spend so much time kind of unplugged and away. And then with the marriage retreat, heavy teaching schedule the last three or four weeks. So that kind of explains what's going on here. Um, but yeah, uh, we will uh, we'll see you next week. And um, hope the Lord blesses you, gives you an awesome week. Thanks again for for being a listener and a supporter. Um, in that listening of the No Sanity Required podcast. We couldn't do it without you. So thanks. Have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.